Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter number 29. The book of 1 Samuel and chapter number 29. As we're finishing up this first part of the life and ministry of David, we'll be finishing up on Wednesday night and then taking a pause. And then when we pick it back up, David will become king and we'll watch David as king. But this is a good time to pause. But at the end of this series here, a lot of these messages will lend itself more to counseling type things. And there is counseling in the Bible. There's hope in the Bible. There's practical things to look forward to. And we've already covered some of the things. For example, on Sunday night, we talked about that David looked in his heart and that he made a decision based off of his heart rather than following the Lord and looking for the will of God. And that led him to certain consequences. On Wednesday night, we spoke about how Saul was... um, trying to find God. However, he refused to get right with God. And so God would not speak to him. And we saw six different reasons that the Bible gives of why God does not hear us and answer, uh, why we get nothing when we speak to him uh, for those certain cases. This morning, we're going to talk about depression as we see that David encouraged himself of the Lord because he was greatly distressed. Tonight, as we watch Uh, continue on. Again, these all lending towards the idea of counseling. We'll see that Saul commits suicide and we'll briefly touch on the idea that suicide and how it does affect other people and what leads to it. But this morning is going to be the one that kind of blends into everything. And so if you don't mind, take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 29. The book of 1 Samuel chapter 29 and notice with me in verse number 1. 1 Samuel 29 and verse 1, the Bible says this, Now the Philistines gathered together all their armies to Aphek, and the Israelites pitched by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed by on the hundreds and by thousands, but David and his men passed on in the re-reward with Achish. Then said the princes of the Philistines, What do these Hebrews hear? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, the king of Israel, which hath been with me these days or these years? And I have found no fault in him since he fell unto me unto this day. And the princes of the Philistines were wroth with him. And the princes of the Philistines said unto him, Make this fellow return, that he which may go again to his place which thou hast appointed him, and let him not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he be an adversary to us, for wherewith should he reconcile himself unto his master? Should it not be with the heads of these men? Is this not David, of whom they sang one to another in dances, and saying, Saul slew his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David, and said unto him, Surely as the Lord liveth, thou hast been upright, and thy going out, and thy coming in with me, And the host is good in my sight, for I have not found evil in thee since 
the day of thy coming unto me. Unto this day, nevertheless, the Lord's favor thee not. Wherefore, now return and go in peace, that thou may displease not the lords of the Philistines. And David said unto Achish, But what have I done? And what hast thou found in thy servant so long that I have been with thee unto this day that I might not go fight against the enemies of my lord the king? And Achish answered and said unto David, I know that thou art good in my sight as an angel of God. Notwithstanding, the princes of the Philistines have said, He shall not go with us to the battle. Wherefore now rise up early in the morning with thy master's servant, that thou come with thee, and as soon as you be up in the, early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose up early to depart in the morning and returned to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded in the south and Ziklag had smitten Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken the women captives and there were there within they slew not any neither great nor small but carried them away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city and behold it was burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captive. Then David and the men that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Aninimum, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. Because the soul of all the people were grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 30? The book of 1 Samuel chapter 30, and notice with me in verse 6, David encouraged himself in the Lord. David encouraged himself in the Lord. And with the Lord's help, we want to examine this about David encouraging himself in the Lord. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being the Lord of hope. That as long as you're alive, there is hope. And people today need hope. People today cannot live without hope. We can live a time without food. We can live a time without water, but we cannot live without hope. I'm asking that you would be a hopeful God to people, that you would draw them to themselves, that they could be a help in their time of need, that you would be a blessing and give them some understanding of some things that maybe they've never understood about themselves before, that they could search and see that you are God and that we could taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. I'm asking that you would show yourself real, draw people to yourself. And again, I know that I'm just a messenger, that there's no good thing in me, that it's not my skills, not my ability to speak, not my ability to understand. There, there's nothing of me. I just ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit and use me as an instrument to get accomplished exactly what you want done today. That today would be the day that you encourage someone to help them in their mind and their depression and the things that they're going through. That they could get help because you love them so much. Again, we need you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
What we find in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 29 and especially in 1 Samuel chapter 30 is that David is in the lowest part of his life to this point. Things are really falling off the wheel tracks. Things are really, really bad. And if you don't mind, I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse number 6 of 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. It says, David was greatly distressed. When we see that idea, greatly distressed, the way that we would state it today was that David was greatly depressed. He's under a depression right now, and it is a real depression. It is something that has come upon him, and we want to be able to examine depression. Because depression is something that affects many, many people. It's something that is within the lives of folks, that real folks that have to be dealt with and encouraged and loved on. And that's exactly the purpose that God wants today is to be able to help people from where they are and help them to move forward. If you don't mind, before we start talking about depression itself, I want to show you the events leading up to this depression. The events leading up to his depression. Now we start off understanding that God had told him he was going to be king. Remember that? About 12 years ago, that's a long time, that God said, hey, guess what, David? You're going to become king. Well, as he's sitting here in Ziklag in the middle of ashes, the town burning around him, everyone's kidnapped. He is so far from being king. He doesn't even look like he's ever going to be king. In fact, he's serving another nation right now. Can you imagine having a promise, having the potential? You're going to be king. But after 12 years, you're no closer to where God had told you you're going to be. Well, that's one factor here. Said he looks at the promises and said, I thought this was going to be different. I thought things were going to be completely different. I had in my mind that maybe, you know, I can't speak for David, but maybe he had in his mind that God said, guess what? You're going to be king and just in a couple short years, something's going to happen. He's going to be at the palace in the throne. And that's where he saw himself. I'm going to be king. How come I'm not in the throne? How come not in the palace? How come I don't have servants? How come I don't have fun? How come I'm in the middle of the woods running for my life? Why? You ever ask yourself why? Well, this is part of the events leading up to his depression is that he's not where he thought he was supposed to be at. So far away from what he imagined in his mind where things were going to turn out. If you don't mind, we also understand that in chapter 27 and verse 1, which we spoke about before, that at the moment as he's speaking right now is that he is following his heart rather than God's way. He's following his heart. Remember, there is a way that seemeth right to man, but its path leads to destruction, the book of Proverbs says. You want, and we took time to explain uh, last Sunday night about the idea of the heart. You know that your heart is deceitful? Do you know that your heart is desperately wicked? The Bible says, who can know it? Do you know that your own heart will lie to you? And here we have David, who instead of looking for God's will, had followed his own heart. He said, this is the way that I believe I should go. This is the way that I think is best for me. This is the way that as I examine everything and I put the pros and cons. By the way, God never determines his will off of pros and cons. If you get to the place where you're saying pros or cons, you're not looking for God's will. You're trying to look for circumstances. But David has said, this is what I've determined. Based off of evidence, I'm following my heart. This is what I believe is right for me. And now he is outside of God's will. 
You know the most dangerous spot you could ever be in is outside of God's will. The safest place you could be is not a location. It's in God's will. That's the safest place. And so often people can find themselves because of their own decisions not looking for what God wanted for them but what they thought was best for them. They find themselves in the midst of consequences and disaster because of their decisions. Because they followed their heart and not God's will. So just leading up to it, we understand that first of all, <laughs> David is somewhere where he didn't think he was expecting to be at. This wasn't his mind. We understand that another idea is that he, this is consequences of him following his heart rather than looking for God's will. Something else is that we see in verse number 1, uh, 1 Samuel 29 verse 1. Now the Philistines gathered together in their armies and the Lord's... But David and his men were there too. What we see is that David had joined with the Philistines, the enemy. So David has found himself not just in a location that he wasn't supposed to, but he also found himself among people that he wasn't supposed to be with. Again, we're building up that this is, he's at a place where he's not supposed to be at. He's in with people he's not supposed to be in. He's finding himself with the enemy rather than being where he's supposed to be at. Then on top of that, to make things worse, the people that he's joined up with, by the way, he's been there for a year and a half. That's a lot of time to be at the wrong place with the wrong people. For a year and a half, he's outside of where God wanted to be at. He still hasn't taken time to find out where does God want him to be at because he figured, oh, well, this is the best thing. I'm following my heart. I'm following what I think is right. And he has, of course, corrected. He's still there. So God kind of helps course correct him, but it makes things a little bit difficult. But the Philistines get, are getting ready to go to war with Saul. And they have a meeting. Not like having a meeting and you're not invited. And the subject is you. So they have a meeting. And they say, all right. Well, we got to go ready to go fight with, with, um, with Saul. But we got a problem. Why is David here with you? We don't want David here. Don't you know who David is? He was the servant of Saul. Do you know how David is? This is the guy who killed Goliath. Do we want this guy in our camp? This is the guy here who the people sang dances and they sang songs that David killed his ten thousands. Do we want this guy in the midst of us? In the middle of battle fighting against his countrymen? Do we really want him with us? They said what we're afraid of is that he's going to see Saul and say, hey, I know, I want to join Saul's team, and he's going to kill us all just so he can get back with his master. I mean, what better present could he give Saul than the heads of all the princes of the Philistines? They said, we don't want our head cut off. Get rid of him. Send him away. We don't want him nearby. So not only was David with people he wasn't supposed to be with, but they ended up rejecting him. He was rejected by the people he put with. You understand that if you hang out with the wrong crowd long enough, they'll reject you. They will. They'll reject you. <laughs> they'll push you aside. You'll be the odd man left out. You're rejected. And so isn't that a blow to David? I mean, him and his men are discouraged because they say, Achish comes back and says, hey, David, go home. What do you mean go home? What have I done? Any, have I done anything wrong? Have I messed up? He says, No. You've done everything you were supposed to do. You did right. But guess what? You're fired. You're done. Go home. 
Not like having the circumstances now pressing against him. So him and his men, they make the trick back. It takes three days to get back to their home location of Ziklag. And when they come to Ziklag, things have gotten worse. I mean, it couldn't get any worse, but it does. They get home and the first thing they do is they kind of look up and there's smoke kind of trailing in the distance. Hmm, that's a lot of smoke. They ride a little bit further and get to the valley and it's our homes. This is where we lived at. Our houses are burned to the ground. And they start searching and they find that some people called the Amalekites, which are uh, Canaanites who lived in the area, they had swept through, burned their city, but they didn't leave there. They took all of their possessions. They took the men's wives. They took their sons and they took their daughters and they kidnapped them. I mean, not like having circumstances against you to go home and find not just your wife taken and your kids taken and kidnapped, but all the men who have been following you for these last couple years, their families are gone. Their families are kidnapped. Their possessions are tore down. Talking about a bad day. I mean, just having a bad day like this was enough to put anyone in a depression, don't you think? But then it gets worse. Say, how can it get worse? Notice if you don't mind in verse number six. And David was greatly distressed. Oh wait, let's go back to verse four. Let's get that. David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. They are so horrified and so distressed with all the events are going that they cry and they cry and they cry and they cry until they have no more tears to cry. They can't cry anymore. And it's not just David, but it's everyone. I mean, if you were found that your family was kidnapped and there was nothing you could do about it, I mean, you might want to shed a tear or two. I, I hope you would, I hope, unless you're saying, I want to get rid of her. It's almost funny, that's funny. <laughs> um, they're all upset, they're all crying. Well, then the men start having secret meetings. There's nothing like catching a secret meeting where you're the subject of. Verse number six, and David was greatly distressed for the people spoke or spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people were grieved. Every man for his sons and daughters. Let me tell you something that's going to be a help or an understanding. Hurting people hurt people. These people are hurting I mean, their families are taken up. So they got, what happens is that you blame someone and David's to blame. If it wasn't for David, we wouldn't be in this mess. If David wasn't out of the will of God, we wouldn't be in this mess. If it wasn't for this, it wasn't for this. It's all David's fault. So hurting people hurt people. Killing David was not going to solve their problems. But in the midst of their grief, they thought it would make them feel better. So not like kind of walking around a tent and hearing a couple guys say, yeah, what are we going to do about it? Yeah, I think we should stone him. We hate David. It's all David's fault. Can you imagine being outside of the tent hearing that and going, well, this isn't good. I mean, what do you do? Do you go over and go, hi, guys, how are you doing? I mean, what do you do? David went back and he's now depressed. Again, these are a lot of circumstances. These are a lot of things popping up. How would your day be? Would you be in the same boat? Would you kind of almost be greatly distressed and depressed right now and saying, well, yeah, it's not good. 
And so we see the events leading up to his depression. And if you don't mind, I want to turn a little bit more clinical now. And I want to describe a little bit more the principles of depression. Since we run into it in the text, we do have to understand that depression is real. And as we preface this, may I also remind you and try to encourage you that depression itself is not a sin. Depression is not a sin. What depression is, is a symptom of a cause. Now that cause may be sin, but depression itself is not a sin. It's an alarm. It's telling you that something is wrong. Kind of like a headache. A headache doesn't happen because it's bored. There's a reason why you have a headache. There's a reason there. And that most people try to treat the symptom rather than find the cause. They say, I'll take some aspirin then find out rather than find out why I have the headache in the first place to prevent it. Same thing with depression. Most people will treat the symptom of depression rather than find out the cause of depression. If you don't mind, may I get a little bit more clinical and, and describe this? We know that 15% of all adults suffer through depression. That, that's a lot of people. So 15 out of every 100. So 1.5 out of every 10 people suffer through depression regularly. In addition, twice as, or sorry, three times as many women than men have depression. So three times as many women have depression. And that one third of the um, depressed women uh, consider suicide. So that's a lot. One, one out of 10 um, depressed women will consider uh, suicide, or one third of the women will consider suicide. And one out of ten all, of all people, uh, so one-tenth of the people, one out of every ten, will need professional help. There's nothing wrong with looking for help for those people who are depressed. To be able to have someone help you through it. To be able to have someone to guide you and to help you this during this time. Even in the Bible, some of the most well-known people in the Bible have suffered through depression. Moses suffered through depression. David suffered through depression. Elijah suffered through depression. Jonah suffered through depression. So here are some very super spiritual people. I meant here's Elijah who rained down fire. Can you rain down fire? Well, he suffered through depression. Moses, who, um, who was the meekest man who ever lived, a guy that God used in a special way, he suffered through depression. So again, we're not saying that depression is a sin, but we are saying that it is a symptom that there's something wrong and something that needs to be fixed and addressed. So again, being clinical, as we're talking about principles of depression, there are three types of depression. So there are three types of depression. The first type of depression is called anxiety depression. Anxiety depression. And this is a type of depression that's usually caused uh, by a fear of being found out by, a by the world or people, <laughs> of being found out and punished by the world or God. So it, it, it's a result of being found out, being caught, uh, of being discovered because of sin, because of things inside of someone's life, <laughs> and be punished for it. Uh, being discovered by it. David is suffering through this type of depression right now. Because he is not right with the Lord. It's now bringing consequences. And those consequences are now stacking up. This is the type of depression 
that David has. There was some type of sin, some type of thing that needed to be corrected for the depression to go away. The, the, the sin was the cause of it. Uh, and it came from a fear of being found out, a fear of being discovered, a fear of being punished because of a sin that's somewhere in the person's life. Again, sometimes someone might not even realize that there's a sin there, but there's a sin there, but your body knows that there's something wrong. Your mind knows that there's something wrong, even though it may not be conscious. And so you suffer through an anxiety depression because it needs to be taken care of. The second type of depression is an anger depression. An anger depression. And this type of depression comes out when... <coughs> When you have anger that cannot be vented out on a victim. And so it turns to bitterness. And it turns to uh, directed inward. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you have a boss that you're angry with. And because he's the boss, you can't yell at him and tell him he's stupid and slap him around. So that anger's got to go somewhere. And so it turns inward. And so the depression happens because of anger. Because of bitterness because of of what someone did wrong to you and you can't vent it out on them you can't take it out on people some people get angry with god god why did you let my dog die i know he was a hundred years old but why and some people i'm being facetious on purpose but there's people who get angry with god but you can't take it out on god you can't yell at him and say god it's all your fault i hate you i mean you could try but you, you can't be really successful about venting out your anger and making him feel bad. There's some people that, that you can't vent out. Maybe they did something to you and you never see them again. But you're still so angry with them. That anger turns inward and turns to bitterness. And bitterness is a slow working poison that destroys its own container. And this is that anger depression. Jonah would be an example of an anger depression. Remember, he just got to see a great revival where a half a million people turned to God and got right. But you know where Jonah's at? He's sitting outside on a hilltop waiting for the destruction of God to hit them. And he's mad because it's not coming. Why is it God destroying them? I hate them so much. And he's outside because of bitterness and anger and he's suffering through depression. He finally says, God, just kill me. Just, I, I don't want to live if these guys are going to live. And it's a de depression that happens because of anger, because of bitterness. There's a third type of depression. And this is the most serious type of depression. And it's a withdrawal depression. It's a withdrawal depression. This is a type of depression that comes because of hopelessness and helplessness. That they've come to a situation, they've come to a place in their life where there's no way out in their perspective. There's no hope. It's never getting better. It's never getting fixed. There's, uh, there's nothing I can do. The thing is too complex. These are too awful. This is where Elijah was at. Elijah had a great victory. Then Jezebel said, I'm going to kill him. So he runs out in the desert and he feels hopeless. He feels helpless. And he wants to die. This is the most uh, serious type of depression. Because when people have no hope, that's when they start to consider suicide. There's people who could have the anger depression and not be suicidal. They're just bitter towards the person. They'd rather see that per other person die than them. There's people with anxiety depression that they don't want to live or uh, die. They're at the place where they just don't want to get caught. There's something inside of them. They have sin that... that 
is ready to be exposed and they don't want it to be exposed. Now, there's another type that's not a type of depression, but there's someone that's called a manic depressive. A manic depressive goes through all three and swings through all three depressions. So he'll go from anxiety to anger to withdrawal, and he'll go through. King Saul is an example of this depression. That he would go through the anger depression. I want him to die. Then he'll go to withdrawal depression. And he'll kind of hide out and kind of be sour. He'll go to the idea of anxiety depression. Oh no, if God's going to, you know. It goes through all of these different type of depressions. And that's what a manic does. He goes through. All right. So again, we're still being clinical. This is a little bit more of a clinical message. But we have to understand because some people have, have never been taught that there's different types of depression. They're taught that that one depression fits all. Oh, you know, and because it's one fits all, then it's the same thing. They don't understand how to treat it. They don't understand where it comes from. Some people think that depression is just something that's caught, uh, you know, just there. Well, depression is a symptom, not a cause. Which brings us to another principle of this, that finding and eliminating the cause is the key to cure depression. If someone wants to be cured of depression, they need to find out what is causing it in the first place. And by the way, medications are a help for this purpose, for the idea of calming a person or getting a person clear-headed enough so they can find out the cause. That medicine is never the cure. It is a tool that's used from time to time so a person can find out the cause of it. And root it out. Does that make sense? So a, a person is never meant to be in a long life regiment of depression pills. The purpose is to, to, if you have to be on it just to get you clear headed enough so you could face it, fix it, and then be released from it. Does that make sense? So when we come to it, we understand that there are different causes of depression. There are physical causes. What do we mean by this? Physical causes, meaning there's something in your physical body that could cause depression. For example, women's cycles once a month. There are some ladies that the cycles are enough to cause a depression during the time. That's a physical thing, not a sin thing. Does that make sense? It's a physical thing that hits. Um, anemia. Do you know that uh, more women suffer through anemia, uh, which is a low iron in the blood, than men? But a low anemia can actually mess with your body systems and cause a depression because of a physical need. So it's not because of sin. It's not because uh, they're hiding something. It's not because of bitterness. It's actually a physical cause. And you know, if you could treat that anemia, the, the depression goes up. Isn't that pretty easy? But you have to be able to identify it. Another physical cause is low blood sugar. People who have undiagnosed or uh, diabetes that's not taken care of, for example, they can go through a depression because of physical things. It's not a sinful, it's not a thing like, get up, you're lazy. There's a physical cause for it. Uh, childbirth. Um, there is such a thing as postpartum depression because of a lady's emotions or hormones are all churned up and things up there. There is a legitimate thing of postpartum depression. And it's not because of sin. It's not something where they just put a smile on their face. It's something that needs to be helped with. It's a physical thing. There's a hormone upset. When someone's hormones are off balance because of something, it could cause a physical thing. Fatigue. You know, when you get tired in your mind, tired in your body, that you could be more susceptible to depression, not because you're a low-down scumbag sinner, 
it's because your body is tired and you go through a depression. The depression is a symptom because of a physical cause. Does that make sense? So there are physical causes. There are also environmental causes. Environmental causes. Let me give you some examples. Seasons. Um, let me give you an example of seasons. In Phoenix, Arizona, the sun shines 340 days of the year. The sun is there. It's bright. And so for someone to move to Phoenix to somewhere like Wisconsin where the whole winter you don't see a sun, it can affect people because they don't see the sun. The seasons can mess with people. The overcloudedness. Uh, it, those things have legitimate causes. Is it because someone's a sinner in that case? No. Is it because they're a scumbag that, you know, just needs to cheer up and kick them? No, it's an environmental cause. There's idea of color in music. You know that there's actually colors that make you happy? And there are colors that make you depressed. If somebody has a room that's dark, walls, and has low lighting, those people have environmental causes to help them be depressed more. You say, well, that's my room. Well, fix it. Put a light in there. Put lots of lights. Have windows. Something. But, you know, have, having the room that's dark and having the type of colors that put the mood and then having low lighting, that affects people. It can affect people over time. They actually have studies that show that. The lack of light. Uh, people need sunlight every now and again. I don't care who you are. If you're the biggest nerd who's 30, 40 years old and haven't been out of your mom's basement 10 years, you need sunlight from time to time. You need sunlight. Sunlight is good for you. It actually does things within you. It's one of the things I love about Wisconsin because as soon as it's warm, everyone's outside. Kids are outside. Birds are outside. People are, it's amazing. I love the state. It's unusual, but oh, it's wonderful. But people need sunlight. They look forward to it. So there's physical causes. There's environmental causes, but there's also some mental causes. For example, guilt. Guilt is a reason for depression. Guilt is, is the different from conviction. Conviction is something that God gives you for the purpose of changing your behavior. Guilt is something we put upon ourselves because we can't get past a certain situation. Guilt destroys people. It holds them back. And if a person just keeps looking at their failure and it stares up and you look in the mirror and you see your failure, of course you're going to get depressed when it's always pointing out to you this idea of guilt and there's ways of taking care of guilt. Bitterness and hatred. Bitterness is one of the number one causes of depression, by the way. When you have bitterness, when you have unforgiveness over someone, by the way, this is where even secular psychologists sometimes get it right. They'll sit down on your couch and they'll ask you about your parents. I don't want to talk about my parents. It's not the reason why I'm angry at my job. Well, it could be if you haven't forgiven your mother over something. If you haven't forgiven your father over something. If you haven't forgiven your childhood friend who was once your friend who pushed you off the boat and helped you drown. I mean, people, people can sometimes keep a bitterness... And they bury it. The Bible calls it a root of bitterness. That, that it grows and grows until it springs up. And when it springs up, the results of it are different. So some people don't understand. I don't understand why I'm so angry. I go to family reunions and I'm so angry all the time. I don't understand why. Well, it's because there's probably bitterness. And you're going to have to root around and search for the root of it. What is causing this? This is where it starts taking some work because you have to find out where is the cause of this bitterness. 
You have to find it, identify it, and work with it. By the way, none of this is an overnight heal. But it's something that will take time. But it can be done. God can give you victory. Negative thinking. When we talk about negative thinking, to use biblical things, it's flesh-controlled thinking. When it comes to the idea, it's all about flesh. It's all about me. It's all about how people treat me. People don't like me. That's all about flesh. And when your flesh is in control, it affects how you think. It affects how you perceive people. And if you don't get the right respect or the right view, they don't look at you right, they don't talk to you right, you could go through a depression, and it is your flesh. And that can be corrected, but sometimes we have to recognize that some of it is because of nasty, awful, horrible flesh. Self-pitying. People come to the idea and have the pity party. Oh, everybody hates me. That caused depression. The idea of upsetting life events. There are some life events. If a family member dies, that can cause a depression. Doesn't mean that they're evil, but that does hit. And they think about mom. I'll never be able to say goodbye to mom again. I'll never be able to talk to mom. I'll never be able to say, you know, those upsetting life events, a car accident, other things. Those things can affect um, the idea of lack of goals. Someone who has nothing to aim at is very susceptible for depression because there's no purpose in life. Why do I exist? I'm just here. If you have nothing to aim at, people need goals. When someone who has been in a, met and a depressive state for a while, you have to set goals, even if they're tiny goals, that for some of us, it, <laughs> you might not even think of, but for them, they have to say, all right, you have to get out of your house and shave. You have to get some fresh air once in a while. To them, those are so big steps that they can't even think of taking them. But they have to have some goals, something to meet to, and have to be encouraged to meet to the goals. If you could have a goal and say, well, I'm never going to go for it, then that's not going to help. You have to step for the goal. Uh, success let down. You know, some of the biggest depressions happen after some of the biggest successes. Uh, if you could forgive the personal illustration, the biggest depression I usually have, as you talk to many other preachers, is right after a missions revival. A, a revival conference that let down after watching all the victories what happens is that you set off your spiritual armor you relax and the flesh jumps right into it the spiritual war jumps right into it what after a great that's what happened to elijah he had a great victory set down his spiritual armor just for a moment and boom it hit right after that spiritual high you got to come down off the mountain you can't stay up there forever and that could happen. So these are just some causes, uh, physical, environmental, mental. Again, I'm not doing a full uh, college course. I'm trying to give some principles so we can have an understanding a little bit more of what princ uh, a depression. May I also, since we're here, also hit another principle here. That starting from early, early childhood, people can fall into several habits of thinking that predisposes them to depression. What do I mean by that? That some children can be trained and raised up so that way they're more susceptible for depression when they're older because they're taught certain things at a young age. And some of it may be kind of uh, understandable and some of it we go, really? Wow, I, I never thought of that before. For example, um, learned helplessness. Learned helplessness. What do I mean by that? Well, 
someone who fails repeatedly, meaning in their entire life, everything they, they try, they fail. And so they get in their mind that they're always going to fail. They're always going to mess up. So they think in their mind, they learn helplessness. Well, I'm always going to fail, so why try? I'm never going to succeed. You know, we need to teach kids at a young age, it's all right to fail. Did you know that? It's all right to fail. It's all right to mess up. At least you're trying, doing something. There's so many people who refuse to step out because they're afraid to fail. And that's going to destroy them. But if somebody fails over and over and over, instead of everyone coming by and kicking them, we need to try to help them to succeed in something. Help move them forward. Help love on them. This learned helplessness. Something else about learned helplessness is repeated and undeserved criticism. Repeated and undeserved criticism. Parents can often do this to their child. You're always going to mess up. How come you can't do it right? How come you can't be like little Johnny? How come you... You're always going to fail. You're brain damaged. You know, and they could just work on that child and teach them to think within themselves that they're a loser. That they're no good. And this criticism can can destroy a child if he hears it all of his life. you got to tell them how Jesus looks at them. Jesus sees them as a peculiar treasure. To see themselves as God sees them, not as people see them. Um, overprotective and not allowed to do things on their own. So a child can learn helplessness by a parent who's overprotective. They never let their child do something. Oh no, I know that you're 7, 8, 9, 15 years old, but let me cut up your food. You, you can't do it yourself. You know, different things where a parent is so overprotective, they've got to keep an eye on them all the time. And there's a time that you've got to trust your kids. You've got to allow them to explore. And may I say, there's sometimes you've got to allow them to have consequences for themselves. Allow them to mess up and learn for themselves not to do it. But an overprotective, if you could go back and do medical studies, and they have, as they've examined people, overprotective parents are, and not not saying the parents are evil, they're doing their best, they're trying to do what's right, but they become overprotective, but then it raises up some people that have in their mindset that they need protected. They're afraid to step out on their own. They're afraid to succeed. And what happens, they're more predisposed to to uh, depression if things don't work out the way they expect it to because mama wasn't there to protect me. Mama wasn't there. Uh, mama wasn't there. What Mama wasn't there. Mama wasn't there. And they come to the idea where they're so dependent on mama or dad or whatever it is that they can't succeed for themselves or they can't dare to try to succeed for themselves unless mama's there and mama has their approval. Nothing like a a 20-year-old lady who's been married for a while who calls up mama and says, Mama, I can't make this decision. Can you make it for me? How do I treat him? How do I... You know, they need to be taught. Children are supposed to be raised to the place where to release them. You raise them to release them. You, rela- you raise them so they can follow God's will. That we're, we don't want them to stay at home for all of their lives. We want them to go out and succeed. Still, this learned helplessness coming up with the idea of Someone who comes up against many situations he can't control and often gives up. Now, again, we know that there are single parent uh, families and kids that go up and they just feel like, I'm never going to get out of the ghetto. I'm never going to get out of this. I can't move past this. My parents are on drugs. I'm going to be. They could get in this mindset as well and they're going to be predisposed to depression. Someone who quits trying and just becomes dependent gives in to self pity. 
Well, I'm never going to fail, so I'm going to live in mom's basement. I'm just going to, I'm going to just stop trying. I, you know, and they just give up on living life, and they go through depression. So we have this idea that there's some people who are predisposed for, um, because of learned helplessness. But a second thing that causes people to be predisposed is ambivalent thinking or double-mindedness about decisions, people, or situations. Ambivalent carries the idea of a complex way of, of mixed emotions of looking at someone. I'm trying to explain my terms. That's a, that's a big term. But someone who is ambivalent, because they have mixed feelings, they oftentimes will judge a situation by the peoples in it. Let me explain. There are many people who hate our current president. And if our current president came out with a bill that supports all of their agenda, they will hate it, not because of the bill, but because of the president. That's someone who's ambivalent. They look at a situation, and they won't look at the situation as helpful to them or not. They'll look at who is giving it to them. And they almost have a love-hate relationship. There are some people that hate them, that some people love them, some people who's ambivalent. I love to hate them. You know, I love to hate them. You know, they have those mixed feelings that work within them. <laughs> someone who is double-minded carries the idea of someone who doesn't make a clear decision or has two different feelings. It's a little bit different. But dependent people, let's say that there is a handicapped child or someone that is uh, bedridden or something like that. Dependent people tend to be double-minded towards the people they depend upon. So they love them, but they resent them at the same time. I think that this person takes care of me. You know, let's say that a long-term Let's give his example, all right? Let's say that uh, a man has an accident and he's bedridden. And his wife has to take care of him. He can get to the place in his thinking where he loves his wife, but he also resents her because she has to take care of him. Because of that dependency. And may I tell you that hurting people hurt people? That people, because of their flesh, tend to bite the hand that feeds them. So the people that take care of someone the most will often get the most scars from the people they're trying to help out the most because they bite back at them because of this type of thinking, this double-minded thinking that they love them and they're thankful for them, but that they resent them because of their situation. That they're in. Does it make sense? And so some people can be raised up with this, and this is why some kids bite back at mama later on because they were so dependent upon mama, and now they resent that they were dependent upon mama and they hurt mama on the way back out. Now, again, this has all been clinical. Let's go back to the text and let's hurriedly try to explain some things about how David went from greatly uh, distressed to encourage himself in the Lord. You guys have been very patient, and I hope some of this has been a help, at least giving an understanding of how depression works. But we come to the idea here that, first of all, David died to self. So as David is now moving from his anxiety depression... And he's moving forward to victory in Jesus Christ. Victory in what God has given to him. Where did he start? He started by dying to self. He started by dying to self. Notice if you don't mind in verse 6. And David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him. Because of the soul of all the people were grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. When we come to the idea that if you're going to move past depression. We understand that we've already covered, you have to find the root cause of it, okay? That, that takes the work. 
But as you're starting to move past depression and moving forward, you've found the cause and working on it. Now you have to move forward. That first of all, you have to die to self. Remember when we talked about depression, depression actually heightens the flesh. And you start catering to the flesh, right? How many ladies have taken a gallon of ice cream because they were depressed? What are you doing? You're feeding your flesh. Good flesh. It's all right, flesh. Good. I'll take care. You know, that's what we're doing is that we're taking care of the flesh. We all get to the place, right? I'm not the only one who wants a bag of goodies when I start feeling bad, you know, and start munching. You don't need the food. You just feel like munching. You're feeding the flesh. Good flesh. I'll protect you, flesh. You know, that's what we do is we try to cater to it. But the more that you cater to the flesh, the more stronger it's going to be compared to the spirit when it's now time to follow after God. Someone who's gone through a depression for a while and hasn't had the practice to die to self to go forward to God, this is going to be a hard place because they're going to have to say no. And their flesh doesn't want to say no. It's strong and it's healthy. It's eat, or it's, the, the flesh is healthy. It's not a healthy experience. But the flesh is going to say, no, you can't do it. Just why even try? Okay, flesh, I'll listen to you. And they listen to flesh. And they let the flesh guide them. But they're going to have to die to self. Now, how do you die to self? That is a great question. The first thing you do, if you're going to die to self, here's a list. To die to self, you first of all confess sin. You try to get as thoroughly right with God as you possibly can. Confess your sin. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To confess our sin. To get thoroughly right with God. A second thing we do, is deny self. Deny self. There are times that you're going to have to say no. No, I'm not going to watch that movie to make my mind check out. No, I'm not going to play the video game. No, I'm not going to sit with a gallon of ice cream. I know that's what I want to do, but no. You're going to have to say no to flesh. By the way, it's healthy to say no to flesh. It's not what you want to do, but there are times that you're going to have to if you're going to move past the depression is tell your flesh no. You're going to have to start getting some victories, and the victories start in the spiritual war by telling your flesh no. No. Now, again, I know that's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying, oh, this is so easy, everybody. I'm telling you, this is going to be a hard battle. But if you're going to move past depression, if you're going to get victory, you have to die to self. And you start by confessing sin and then telling your flesh no. No. May I give another example, a weak example, I know, pathetic example, but the other day I didn't feel like taking a walk. So you know what I went and did? Took a walk. I say, flesh, you're not getting your way. No, I'm going to have to. If I'm going to move past, I'm going to have to. No, no. And, and you're going to have to go do it. In addition, here's another hard one. To die to self, you must surrender your rights, your dreams, and your goals. Because they're yours. they got to die. You want to replace them with what God wants. But you deny to your ambitions. You deny to your goals. No, I'm erasing all of those. God, it's whatever you want. I die to my dream to have a house. I dream, die to my dream to be happy. I die to my dream to be married. I die to my dream. Whatever it is. I die to that promotion. I die to it. It's no longer my goal. It's no longer my desire. My goal is going to be God. I have to die to my dreams because they're my dreams. Then we, as we surrender our rights, 
to die to self. You confess your sin to die to self. You surrender your rights, your dreams, your goals. Then you obey what God has clearly commanded you. Find something to obey. Open up the Bible and say, God, what is it you want me to do? Maybe it's read your Bible. Pray. Go soul winning. Give tithe. Go to church. But you have to obey. If you're going to move forward, you have to obey the things that God has clearly given you to do. You have to start moving forward because it's God, by the way, that is going to give the victory. Not our flesh, not a doctor, not a pill. It is God. And you have to move towards him. You have to find something to obey. Then you, to die to self, finally, you surrender yourself to God's use. Whatever you'd have me to do, God, I'll do. But that comes after we start obeying. As we're obeying, it's kind of like power steering. Remember the days before power steering and to turn a vehicle that was stopped? You had to kind of push on that, that wheel and to turn it. Well, with power steering, it's easier to go. But back in those days before it, it's much easier to turn a vehicle as it's moving than when it's standing still. You start off by obeying God. And as you obey God, you allow God to steer you and say, God, what would you have me to do? And allow him to bring me to that place. So David had to start off by dying to self. Lord, I surrender myself. You tell me what to do. Then... So we see he died to self. This next thing we see is that David encouraged himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself in the Lord. Notice that word I in. That is a, that is a preposition. And it gives us thing. We know that there's different prepositions. Out, in, those type of things. He encourages himself in the Lord. He realized his encouragement came from God. I have to be in the Lord. I have to have God. Uh, you don't have to turn there. We've covered it before. But Psalm 34 was a psalm that David wrote about two or three years before. But in Psalm 34, David said this. I will bless the Lord at all times. That includes the times he was in right then. In the times of his depression, when he was sorely depressed, uh, distressed, when everyone was thinking about killing him. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord. The word magnify means to make God big. To make big. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me. And delivered me from all my fears. The psalm goes on. But we see this idea here. That when David encouraged himself in the Lord. He stopped looking at himself. And he looked at God. And he saw that God was able. That God was bigger than the circumstance. That God is, God is powerful. That God is the God of hope. And that he needed hope. And that's where he needed to run to. David encouraged himself in the Lord. There's one other thing that we see in here as David is moving past his depression, that he died to self. He encouraged himself in the Lord. Notice with me in verse 7 and 8. And David said to Abathar the priest, Abimelech's son, saying, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord. Here we see here that David sought the Lord for direction and obeyed. He sought the Lord for direction and obeyed. That is, he's moving past depression. He's going to get victory. He comes to this final thing where he says, God, what do you want me to do? And I'll do it. Remember, this is where, why David ended up in the depression in the first place. Because he didn't look for God's will. 
Now as he's right with God, he got things fixed, he's moving forward. God, what do you want me to do? And I'll do it. And by the way, the rest of the story, as old Paul Harvey used to say, if you don't know who he is, Google. That David and his men went and they found the Abimelech. They found an Egyptian who was... Uh, dying on the side of the road and he said they went that away and by the way everyone's still alive they went and they overtook the uh, Amalekites and guess what they captured everyone back alive all the sons all the daughters all the wife and all of their things God had made it so no one had suffered and died but they got it all back but God was using all of this to finally get David fixed because guess what's going to happen in a matter of days Saul is going to die and David's going to become king. In order for David to be king, he couldn't be with the Philistines. God had to get him out of that place and get him fixed. And so what God did with David's depression is he put something there to cause David to finally seek after God, to look for God. Now, he could have avoided the depression if he would have sought for God in the first place. We understand that. But you know, we have to take people from where they are and move them forward. Remember, the depression was not the cause. It was something else. Depression was a symptom that said something is wrong. It needs to be fixed. Now that it was there, David was able to take care of it and move forward for the Lord. And then he got great victory and became king just like God had promised him in the first place. Now again, I know we're taking the context and we're mixing in with the clinical idea of depression. Depression is real. And depression needs to be taken care of. It's not something that you just get over. Depression has a cause. And the way to cure depression, to treat depression, is to first of all find the cause. Get that treated. And then look up to the Lord and move forward. And God can give us great victory. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.